Well, it's good to be here at Porchlight Baptist Church this morning. I'm glad to have those that's here, those that may be watching online or watching later, and enjoyed the, the singing. I'm not feeling too well today, but uh, Lord willing, we'll get through this message, and, and uh, God will receive glory for it. Uh, we're in part number 21 of our sermon series, The Gospel of John. And this morning I've titled the message, Woman at the Well, Part 2. Now last week, you may remember, we looked at the first 15 verses of this chapter, chapter 4 of the Gospel of John, and we saw some things there. We saw that Jesus had left the area of uh, Judea uh, to head into Galilee. But before he would get to Galilee, he would first stop in Samaria. The Bible said that uh, he must needs go through Samaria. Uh, now, the reason that he had to leave Judea in the, in the first place was because of the Pharisees who were wanting to put pressure on him because they, they hated him. So they were already looking for ways to get rid of Jesus at the very beginning of his earthly ministry. Uh, but as Jesus said many times, it was not yet his time. And so instead of getting entangled with the Pharisees and, and, and all that mess that would come later, uh, Jesus decides he'll just depart from Judea and leave that mess behind for a while and go into Galilee, where he did spend most of his earthly ministry in the area of Galilee, all around the, if you pull up the map of the Sea of Galilee, look at all those uh, cities around it, and that's where Jesus spent most of his uh, ministry at, uh, preaching and healing and, and teaching in those areas. Uh, Jerusalem, he would go there for Passover, and he would go there for other certain things, and of course, we know finally at, at the end of his earthly life, that's where he was at. But as he goes there, there's as we mentioned last time, there's three different routes he could have taken. And the Jews usually would have taken the routes around Samaria instead of going through it because of the, the hatred they had for those people and, and vice versa. And uh, But Jesus has a, a reason for going there. The reason he must needs go through there is because... He has a divine appointment with the woman at the well. She has no idea about this. She had, she don't know who Jesus is, never met him in her life, never heard about him. And so, you know, it, this is all going to be brand new to her. Now, as we looked at last time, they had a conversation as Jesus, you know, told her to give him some water. And uh, that's where things got kicked off. Uh, it was apparent she did not perceive that he was the Messiah at that point or any kind of prophet at that point. And her conversation with him was kind of rude. It was uh, kind of cold, uh, accusative, and she put up resistance to him. And again, we explain the cultural difference between those two different races or uh, people, Samaritans and Jews. And um, so... She put up a resistance to him. She had a chip on her shoulder. She didn't understand that he had something for her that she needed more than anything in her life, and she had no clue about it. And so Jesus starts revealing to her some spiritual things, starts talking to her. If you look at there at the beginning uh, of the chapter, chapter 4, uh, what's it say? Uh, Jesus said um, in verse 10, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So he immediately starts speaking on spiritual terms, but she doesn't have a spiritual sense about her. 
she is not a saved woman. She has some religious uh, background. She probably was brought up in a religious home, and she understood some things about religion, but she was not saved. She had never trusted the Lord as her Savior or, or thought in that sense, and so she didn't have a, a spiritual mindset. The things of God have to be discerned through, through God, and so you can only, only those that are saved have spiritual discernment. And so he starts speaking to her this way and revealing things to her, but she couldn't get it. And so she keeps on coming back with these, uh, you know, kind of uh, strange, you know, replies, hateful ones, it seems like. And that's where we pick up this morning after Jesus had started, uh, he's trying to uh, apply these truths to her heart to get uh, her heart pricked. Uh, to the knowledge uh, that she needs to be saved. So look at our text there, John 4 and 16. The Bible says, Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did, ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Help us now as we try to preach on this text. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, there we find in our opening text, Jesus, um, now he's, he's, he's not going to deal with her, her smart remarks anymore. He's going to cut to the chase and uh, start opening her eyes quickly. And so the way to do that, he's going to kind of put a little shock into her uh, by revealing something he knows about her that she didn't think that there was any way that he could possibly know. And so his reply to her, his what he said to her must have hit her like a ton of bricks. I'm sure this shocked her, and it's caught her off guard, and I'm, she's probably thinking, how in the world did he know that? Has somebody been talking about me to him? You know, has he been spying on me? What in the world's going on? And so, you know, he's just blatantly called out her sin that people in her town knows about it. There's probably no question about that. But this outsider, some stranger, that she, a Jew of all people, knows. And so 
Look, it's it's a necessary ingredient whenever you're witnessing to someone is not only to tell them the good news, the gospel, but to share with them the bad news. And the bad news is you're a sinner. That all men have have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that we must be saved. In order to be born again, we must be, uh, or in order to have eternal life, we must be born again. And that means we must be saved. We must believe in Jesus. And so he's giving her not only the good news that there's one that give you living water, and by the way, I'm he, I'm the one you're talking about here, as we're going to look at in a minute. But uh, he also tells her some bad news. Listen, you've got a problem. You've got sin. You've got bad sin in your life. And, uh, you know, one of the hardest things when you are witnessing to someone is to convince them they, they do need to be saved. You know, unless somebody understands that they have to be saved, they need to be saved, they, they uh, I mean, it's a, Without it, they're going to die and go to hell. Unless somebody understands they need that, they they can't be saved. you got to know that you must be saved in order to become saved. You can't just say, well, okay, well, that guy got saved. I get, I'll do it too. You know, I'll, I'll be saved too. It don't work that way. You've got to understand in your mind that you need salvation. And so that's one of the toughest things is, is convincing people that they need to be saved. And so... That's why the Holy Spirit goes with us when we are ever, whenever you're witnessing to someone, the Holy Spirit is the one who helps you with that. It's not your job to convict their heart. The Holy Spirit convicts and convinces men of, of the need to be saved. And so they'll put up resistance, similar to this woman, and they'll say things, well, at least I'm not like so-and-so. You know, well, I live a better life than my neighbor, and he goes to church. Yeah. Well, I know Christians down there at that church. I know some of the things they've done. You know, why in the world... And so they'll say all these things. I'm much better than so-and-so. And they want to compare themselves to somebody that, that they think, in their mind, is much worse off than them. And so if I can lift myself up, you know, and look better, then I'm okay. Well, the sin that Jesus points out to this woman here at the well is that not only has she gone through five husbands, but she's also living in sin. She's living with a man who is not her husband. She's not married to him. And therefore, that is sinful, and it always has been. Now, the culture that we live in today has diminished so badly that they no longer see that as sinful. They have this warped uh, sense or idea that there's nothing wrong with living someone with someone of the opposite sex if you're, if you're not married. That they think there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, today, that's a prerequisite for people. Well, we'll just get... You know, we'll we'll get a place and live together, and if we get along, then maybe a few years from then we'll get we'll get married. You know, and that's kind of the idea that a lot of people have, or a lot of people say, well, we, there's no need to get married. We'll just live together. That way, you know, we don't have to go through some divorce one day or something like that. <laughs> and so they want to call things like this cohabiting. We'll cohabit together. You know, live together. Let's call it what it really is. It's shacking up. It's sinful. And it's, it's against God's laws. It's immoral. Uh, and just as Jesus is pointing out to this Samaritan woman, she's living in sin. And she has been for many years. Now, like most people, instead of when confronted with sin, you know, confessing and being, you know, convicted of it, she attempts to change the subject. She wants to turn the whole conversation around, get, the, get it off of her, you know, uh, let's quit pulling out my sin. I'm going to ask you a question about religion. Now, all of a sudden, this unsaved woman, she's she's religious. And you're going to find that in a lot of people. Look at verse 19. 
The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So she's turned the whole conversation around. She, you know, uh, she should have said, said to him, you know, uh, now, why are you going to talk about my husband's? And why, why, you, why do you care who I'm living with? Or all this. No, she's, she's convicted. She knows she's wrong. She knows she's living in sin. So instead of talking about that problem, we're going to talk about this religious problem. Well, we got two different places of worship. You Jews say that you know it's in Mount Moriah. We say it's in Gerson over here. Who's right? You know, if you're a prophet, tell me uh, where are we supposed to worship at? And so uh, she has some knowledge of religion. The Samaritans had built their temple on Mount Gerizim, and the Jews, of course, built theirs on Mount Moriah at the temple in Jerusalem. And so she's asking him, well, which is the correct place to worship? Now, you'd be amazed at the number of unsaved people that have a little inkling of religion, have just enough Bible they've heard to be able to try to use it against a Christian, or use it against somebody that wants to point out sin. And by the way, nowadays... People think that if you point out sin, that, that you're totally against them, that you hate them. That, you know, And that's not the truth. Uh, that's the way the sodomites do and uh, the, the trans, whatever they are, they call them now. I don't know what all they call them. But if you say anything about it or against it, they immediately take offense and say, you hate me or you know, you're, you're not being a Christian or whatever like that. Well, no, that's not the truth. A Christian does point out sin. And so they have enough religion about them to say, judge not that you be not judged. Which, by the way, is the sinner's, the unsaved's favorite Bible verse. Their favorite one. And most of them, that's the only one they know. And they use it over and over and over. If, if they're doing something sinful and somebody says something about it, judge not that you be not judged. I thought you was a Christian. You Christians ain't no better than anything, you know. And so uh, that is one of the most overused and abused verses and misinterpreted verses in the entire Bible. And it gets quoted any time you call out sin. Look, the Bible does not teach against not judging. It does not teach us not to judge. It teaches us to judge properly. Righteously is what the Bible calls it. And so you can't use that one verse, pull it out of context and use it for everything that you want. You've got to read the verses before it. you got to read the verses after it. Especially those after it. Let's see what it says after judge not that you be not judged. Matthew 7 1 is what that is. Matthew 7 and 2 says, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye met, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. And so we see the teaching of the Bible there is, okay, now if you're going to judge somebody, you've got to hold yourself in that same judgment. Look at yourself first, and you may point out their sin. You may see their sin, but do you have even worse sin? Is Are you dabbling in something even worse than they are, but yet you're calling them out? You're a hypocrite. So if you're going to call them out, first take care of your own sin, 
then address their sin. So the Bible doesn't tell you not to judge. It says to judge properly. Uh, Jesus says in John 7 and 24, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And so we are to judge others. We're to judge them in righteousness, righteous judgment. And so first we have to make sure that our own hearts are, are right, that we're not living in sin, and then point out their sin saying, listen, this is sinful according to the word of God. Not because I said so, but because God said so. And uh, so we're not told to judge, but to judge righteously. Jesus is righteously judging this woman. He has no sin in his life. Jesus is the only uh, human Human, he is not only is he a deity, but he was also human. Only human ever in existence to be sinless. And so he can call out her sin because he's doing it righteously. She is living in sin. But Jesus is going to go ahead and play along with her little religious questions here that she's asking, trying to you know, turn the, the, the conversation around. And, but he's going to prick her heart with great truth. So look at verse 21. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and and in truth. So Jesus quickly lets this woman know that it isn't religion that she needs. It's not religion. Religion never saved a single soul. Never. What she needs is Jesus. She needs truth. And that's what uh, he says there at the beginning of verse 21. He said, woman, believe me. Now, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus is truth. Everything that he says is true. And so he tells this woman, listen, believe me. I'm telling you the truth. Don't get caught up in the proper place of worship. You know, Get religion off of your brain. It's got nothing to do with religion, rituals, routines, rites. None of that stuff matters one hill of beans. What you need to be concerned about is worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. That's what God wants. And by the way, that's what God wants from us today. He doesn't, the religion stuff, he could care less about. None of that stuff matters. What matters is, is what's in your heart, what he knows to be truth, what you know about God, and that we worship him in that manner. And so it don't matter if it's on a mountain, in a temple, in a boat, in a cave, in the desert, or even at the side of a well. And so Jesus is pointing this out to this woman. Uh, and that's another thing you've got to remember. Whenever you're talking to somebody that's not saved, uh, people do get caught up in religious things. They do. And so you may confront somebody about church or, you know, worshiping or, or you know, salvation, whatever it may be, and they'll want to start, they want to get on the religious stuff. Well, I couldn't come to your church because I don't have a suit to wear. Silly things like that. You know, I've got tattoos in my arms. I couldn't come to your church. People judge me. So you're already judging people because you think they're going to judge you. <laughs> I've, I've went through this conversation so many times with people in the past. 
So many times. Well, you know, and some one woman asked me, will people talk about me and look at me if I come to your church because I have to be in a wheelchair? <laughs> what? You know? And so people get all wrapped up in religious things, you know, and uh, none of that matters. And so you got to remember that. And by the way, that's how the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses pull Baptists out of churches and into their places of worship is by religious things because people love religious things. They love the little routines. If I got to wear a certain thing and, you know, act a certain way and say a certain thing and do all this stuff, they like structure. They like to have a list of things they can check off like the, the rich young ruler, you know, he wanted to check off, you know, how can I have eternal life? Well, I've done this, I've done that, I've done that, I've not done this and not done that and nothing like that. So, hey, you know, what am I missing? And that's what people want today. So if a, you know, a Mormon or a or Jehovah Witness is one of the worst uh, because they can quote scripture better than any Baptist. They can bring out a Bible that looks a lot like yours and start pointing things out, you know. And, oh, you got all these people that are so, you know, because most Baptists, most church members around here anyway, they don't read the Bible. They don't know anything about the Bible. They act like it's the most precious thing, you know. I've got a Bible in my house. I've got one in my car. I've got one at work. I've got one here. Yeah, but don't ever open it up and read it. And so when a Jehovah Witness comes to the door and says, well, you know what it says in John chapter 3, you know, look at it. And so uh, I've told this story before, but there was uh, my dad, of course, he was a Sunday school teacher. I had, uh, you know, several students um, and this one man who he taught for so many years and taught the truth to calls him up one day and says he's not coming back, that uh, he finally has heard truth because the, the Jehovah Witness come by his house and he's been talking with him and he's revealed to him things that he never heard before. And so he, he quit being a Baptist and went to the Jehovah Witnesses because he finally heard the truth. <laughs> I wonder what kind of truth the watchtower told him because that's where they get their truth from. They don't get it from the Word of God. If they did, they would they would understand the truth about about Christianity. They would understand the truth about who Jesus really is. And and they wouldn't go around predicting the end of times all the time and telling you only so many people's gonna be in heaven, so many here on earth and all this. And what a what a mess. But that's what they do. Uh, and it, listen, it don't matter if you're a Baptist, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, a Lutheran, or whatever religion it is. None of that saved anybody. But what you need to believe in is what the Bible says. You need to, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what is the most important thing. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, all that religious stuff was, was fulfilled. The law was fulfilled. The veil of the temple was rent. Showing that uh, the you know there was no longer anything between God and man that it was wide open, and uh, you know the Levitical priesthood was done away. Believers became priests, and Jesus became the great high priest, and He sits on the right hand of the Father to make intercession for us. And so there's no more sacrifices to be made. Jesus was the final sacrifice, the perfect one, and it's not about religion; it's about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. All right, let's look at the woman's answer, verse 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. The word Messiah is spelled a little different there. It's the Greek uh, uh, rendering of the word there. The same one as Messiah, but it's uh, 
looks like Messiah in your uh, your New Testament or here in this gospel anyway. And so we start seeing a transformation of this Samaritan woman at this point. The truth has now been revealed to her. Jesus told it to her, point blank. She's a lost sinner. She's lived in sin most of her life. She's living in sin right now. She needs salvation. And salvation don't come through a religious routine or, or right. It can only come through the one who gives the water of life freely, whom Jesus has already told her about. And so uh, she now understands that the living water that he was speaking about was not physical. It wasn't down in, in Jacob's well. It wasn't 100 feet down and, and all this, and she didn't have drawn up with a bucket, but it's spiritual water. And she even says, well, I know when Messiah comes. So again, her religious upbringing, background, she, she understands the things about the promised Messiah that was uh, promised to come and save people from their sin. And so she said, I know when he comes, he's going to be called Christ, and uh, he's going to tell us all things. Now, this next verse, verse 26, is instrumental in your understanding of this whole thing. Look at it. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. It can't be any clearer than that. Jesus has point blank told her, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the one you're talking about. I'm the one that's come. I'm the one that's called Christ, and I can tell you all things. I just told you all about your, your life, your life of sin. And so Jesus, standing right there in front of this woman, reveals to her who he is. And this is the first time this has happened in Scripture. This is the first time we read where Jesus just comes out and says who he is. All the other times, it's almost like shrouded in a mystery. You know, people say, oh, hey, are you, you know, is this the guy? Is that the guy? You know, Jesus says, I am the guy. I'm the guy. I am him. And so, uh, I that speak unto thee am him. Now, I can't tell you what her reaction was at that point. The Bible doesn't go into it. She probably, you would think she probably had to balance herself there on the side of the well. <laughs> Whoa. And I can't tell you what she said to him or anything that occurred between that verse and the next verse. I'm sure something else occurred right there. The Bible just doesn't go into detail. But I can tell you this. She believed on Jesus as her Messiah at that point right there. At that very moment, the Samaritan woman is what we would refer to as saved. Right in there between verse 26 and 27, she got saved. Because she believed in Jesus. She believed in him. Look at verse 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? So the disciples come back. They've got Chick-fil-A in their bags under their arms. And they, they see Jesus talking to this woman. And they think, What in the world? That's, that's what they're thinking. They're thinking, What in the world? But none of them said it. None of them looked at the woman and said, what are you, what are you looking for? What's this about? But that's what they're thinking. None of them asked Jesus, why in the world are you talking with her? But that's what they're thinking. But they held their tongue that day. Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. 
Now suddenly that physical water is no longer important to her. You notice that? She left her water bucket. She could care less about the physical water. All she wants now is spiritual water. And she wants to tell everybody about it. And so the disciples, being there in the city buying food, they come back, you know, and uh, here's this uh, little sinner saved by grace right there at the well with Jesus speaking to her. And now she's running around telling everybody about it. She is. What do you think the disciples did while they went into town to look for food? You think they went around telling everybody about the Messiah? Hey, the Messiah's over in Samaria. The Messiah's over there. You all need to come and see him. He's over there. The Christ is over there. Because they knew who he was. Why weren't they going around telling everybody? Why didn't they have a crowd following them back to the well? This woman, she's caused all the men in the city to come out to the well to see the Christ. And so we see what someone that has the Lord on their heart, when they, they want to tell people about Jesus, we see the results. And so this is a sign of a changed life. A sign of a changed life. She became a new creature in Christ. The old creature would never have told anybody about this meeting. She would never have went to town and said, you know what, I've been over at the well talking to a man. And everybody said, well, we know you would. You got five. You had five husbands and you're living with some guy. I'm sure you're talking to a man. She would never have told anybody she's talking to a man. But now she says, I've been talking to the Christ. <laughs> I've been talking to the one to tell me everything about me. This is him. And so I'm glad that Jesus can take even the vilest sinner and wash him clean. He can sober up a drunk. He can, he can make a new creature out of a drunkard. He can clean up a crack addict. That guy laying on the sidewalk, broken antenna off a car, put crack in it and smoking it out of an antenna. You know, people do that. They're so desperate when they get hooked on that crack. He can make a new man out of that one. He can heal the sin sickness of the most wicked sodomite, child molester, perverts, all those about there. You know, he can, he can clean their hearts. He can even cause a bomb vest wearing Muslim terrorists to throw away his bombs. You know, we look at them, they hate us. We're evil. They want to wipe us out. You know, what is Allah Akbar, whatever they say. <laughs> they want to wipe out the Western world. God can even save them. And he can even save a six-year-old boy in East Tennessee. But they ain't got a lick of sense. Look, when Jesus gets a hold of you, all bets are off. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. The Samaritan woman, she went to the well thirsty, but she came away with living water, never to thirst again spiritually. Now, we don't have time to finish the rest of the story of the woman in the well because there's still some more things that's going to happen. Uh, we're going to see Jesus have to teach his disciples a little lesson in witnessing. We just thought, we just referred to it there. We saw the difference between the Samaritan woman's witnessing and the disciples apparently didn't witness at all. And we're going to see the Samaritan woman, or we're going to see the reaction of the people in Samaria to, uh, because of the words from the worst sinner woman in their town and what's going to happen after she started sharing the gospel. We're going to see the, the difference that it's going to make in this town. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you today thanking you for the message. Lord, I am so thankful you can save even the worst sinner, Lord. 
God, I know just a six-year-old, I, I didn't do many bad things at that point, but God, the things you saved me from in the future, Lord, I, I'm so thankful for that. And God, I'm praying for that one today that's never been saved, God, that you will convict their heart and show them their need to be saved. And Lord, I pray for our church. I pray that, Lord, we'll be a shining light for you and a great witness for you. Lord, everywhere we go, everything we see and everybody that we meet, God, may we share with them the truth of the gospel. Help us, Father. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. All the hearts and minds clear this morning. Well, the good Lord will and the creek don't rise. We'll see you next Sunday.